0: Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.
1: I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of Money Wise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money and we ask them all about their finances. My name Sam Parr and the podcast is called Money Wise. That's one word, Money Wise. You can find Money Wise wherever you get your podcasts.
2: 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Oh, I got a story for you, Sue Thomas coming up here. Oh, I'm ready. This, um, these are the stories that always set you off. This one has to do with a biological male that is on the cusp of joining the LPGA Tour. Give me I, a break. I, I can't even... And you know, the, the thing about this particular story, and I'm going to explain it before this hour is up, is if you would... Um, If you just Google the name of this particular golfer that I'm going to tell you about right now, if you would do it. You would find that they're... Because this is a sports story. She she won a tournament in a feeder league to the LPGA. You know, the, the PGA has... Well, it used to be called the Corn Ferry Tour. I can't remember what they call it now. Maybe that's what they call it now. But it's like the, the step before you get to the PGA, oh, okay. right? And in this particular case, you have um, the NXT Women's Pro Tour, which is sort of a stepping stone to the LPGA. And they've actually issued a statement about Haley Davidson. I'm going to get into Haley's story here in just a little bit. But what I think is interesting, and I also think it's very revealing, is if—look, um, that's a legit sports story, right? Yeah. You, you would think that sports journalists— Whether they're at the New York Times, the Washington Post, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, or ESPN, maybe not as much Sports Illustrated because they've gone belly up too soon there. Uh, But in in that particular situation, you would think that you would find stories about Haley today on ESPN. Yeah, you would. You would not. There's Uh no coverage on ESPN, but you're going to love this story when we get to it here. In just a couple of minutes, I have audio cut of the day. Also, on a uh, media malfeasance topic, Daniel Greenfield will be here. He works with the David Horowitz Freedom Center and really exposed this um, Islamophobia hoax with the shooting in Vermont that occurred after the Gaza invasion into Israel, which is very revealing. Plus, I have an audio cut of the day. We tipped or previewed that just a little bit in the 3 o'clock hour. Our friend Jory Reid from MSNBC will be featured today in fine fashion, and that's coming up right around 545. Scott Moorfield with us this afternoon. He writes for Town Hall. He's been a guest many times on the show, and Scott and I have bonded over our hope that Ron DeSantis could maybe take the presidential mantle away from Donald J. Trump, and Scott, it's we tried, right? We tried so hard, and other people tried, and I don't know how hard Ron DeSantis tried, but it just it didn't work out. Scott, did it?
3: It was not to be, Mark. Sadly, um, he. I, I said. I said this many times before, leading up to it. It was Iowa or best, and I was one of the first, like I guess DeSantis people on Twitter to, not, you know, just supporters. To to call it then,
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: because, yeah, it was over, and they kept coming back at me. It's not over. It's not over. No, it's over. Um, and it, it, it turns out the polls were more right than we thought. I was hoping they were not right. Um, they were, and that, and I don't really have any reason to believe that it's any different in any other state. So I think he did the right move to get out now. Retreat, regroup, fight another day, um, and GOP voters are going to have to learn the hard way.
2: Well, let's let's go back. To a year ago, and when when you and I talked about this, and and I I think I'm going to try to have Steve Cortez on the show this week. Steve's interesting because he he's now you know he was a guy that worked for Trump and he was very much hardcore DeSantis. It's time to turn the page. It's time to move forward. We don't need you know the blemishes of the past, whatever the behavior, etc. Well, Cortez has kind of flipped back in the other direction. He's given up and he's said, "Uncle." I had Ziegler on the show on Friday. He thinks that the country's lost. You know, John. But Scott, where are you on all this? Because obviously you shared the concern that I did, and that. Steve and John did, that we thought that this for me, and I don't want to speak for you, is about really kind of taking the country back and fixing some things that are really off the tracks right now with this president in this administration in some horrific ways. And I can highlight the border in many other situations. So I guess in in our minds, we felt that Donald Trump can't win this election this year. And you look at the polling with suburban voters, women in particular, it looks like he's going to get smoked even by a guy like Joe Biden. Well, lo and behold, over the last year, the polling has not really showed that. The administration has gifted the Trump campaign and really Republicans uh, a bunch of stuff over the past year that might help them in the election in the fall. Now, I don't know where this takes us, but but I, I wanted to encapsulate a little bit of your concern for the country and why you supported Ron DeSantis, and you can kind of take it from there.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, DeSantis was basically everything Trump wasn't, um, and he had the policy positions that Trump has. So we could have had just a super competent administrative administrator who could have gotten in there and without all the craziness that Trump brings and mainly really without without the J6 because here's the thing the Democrats haven't even gotten started yet they haven't even begun to fight they're they're content just to sit back they don't care about the polls right now um so of course when you're not hearing anything from Democrats you're not hearing constant repeats of all the craziness that Trump has said even on true social the last year all the the J6 stuff And worse than that, the indictment. So we've got he's still got to fight all this stuff in court over this year. He's facing 91 charges. What is he? Does he does a conviction come before the election? Because if it does, a certain percentage of Republicans have made it clear that they're not going to vote for a convicted felon. So we're going to be stuck with a convicted felon as the nominee. That's the biggest thing above any of it. Well, and you know, the Democrats
2: love that you because you're, you're right. The, oh, poll- sure. the polling does show that the support wanes when you have convictions. And, you know, you just look at middle of the road voters and people who aren't really dialed into some of these issues right now. You can see how that would have an effect. On the other hand, Scott, doesn't it say a lot maybe about these other candidates or maybe where the country is, that they feel that maybe, and and I think the electorate is relatively informed when it comes to Trump and his behavior, they feel like there's no one out there that can do some of the stuff that needs to be done outside of Donald Trump. Now, whether they're right or wrong, I I can't really make the call on Mm -hmm. that because I thought that there was another path here and, and certainly I was wrong on that. But it says something at this point that you know Trump is getting people back and reeling them back in because they're so angry about what this administration's doing.
3: Sure. It's the perfect, um, it's basically the perfect ruse because obviously, well, the administration is obviously completely incompetent and, and screwing up left and right. But by bringing these indictments when they have, it, it's it's perfect because it solidified the GOP support for Trump because the instinct is not to leave your leader wounded on the battlefield yeah. You know, we got to rally around him, and I get it. It's it's a very um, noble instinct that that Trump supporters have. I have it. I mean, if I could wave a magic wand and put him in office, I would. I wish he were in office now. We wouldn't be going through a lot of this stuff if he was in office now. But.
2: But but can you can you also say you know one of the things that concerned me about DeSantis going in is I was very open minded I like the way that he ran Florida I have friends down there who are Democrats who were relatively impressed I think they were impressed with the way that he handled um, the aftermath of Hurricane Ian and some of the other issues in particular we know the economic success the COVID record but there was something about DeSantis that people just didn't buy into and whether it's related to charisma or other things you know specific to personality it's kind of hard to compete with the Trump with the Trump personality but. There was something there that people just didn't trust, Scott.
3: Yeah, I I don't think it was so much DeSantis as it was Trump. I mean, people point to the early campaign missteps, and there were some, and there were some things that they could have done differently. But if you analyze his debate performances and his media appearances and the way he interacts with people in his speeches, I mean, sure, they can point, oh, there's a video of him laughing awkwardly. Ooh, he, he allegedly ate pudding with his, I don't know, just these silly things. Um, I, I don't think it was DeSantis so much as just love for Trump. They, the people liked Trump. They, I mean, they, liked, they liked DeSantis. They loved Trump. And that's, a lot of that's because of the sort of mythological pathos surrounding him, almost a cult-like following and this adoration that people have. They've seen him as president. They've seen him do good things for the most part up until the last year, I would say. But um, but they they love him. And so for DeSantis, it it, it basically when he tried to unseat the king, um, even if they just there's no way that he could he just couldn't get past that. He couldn't get past the legend. So there's just something about Trump that holds loyalty. So I don't think I think if DeSantis would have run in just a clear field, like if it was just DeSantis versus Haley. DeSantis would be walking over this thing, and it would be fine. Um, Not every candidate has to be some just super articulate, which DeSantis was getting better and better at that. But not every candidate has to be that. Well, but when you, you
2: take him out of the mix, and it's much. it's a different scenario. There, there's yeah. no doubt about that. I mean, why Nikki is still in this, I have no idea whether or no. not. I, <laughs> you know, my, my concern is we're going to have deep regrets after Election Day, because my advice um, over the past year, and I think, Scott, this is true for you, is choose wisely, right? I'm, I'm not convinced we choose wisely. Now, I, I get it, nope. given the circumstances of everything that's happened and everything that's accumulated. But w- w- in order to switch things around in this country and the border, you can certainly point to that. You can point to crime, fentanyl whatever the issue is. The social issues are important to me. I think they're important to you. We can't turn these yeah. around if you don't have the numbers in Congress and if you don't have the White House. And I think there's, there's a bunch of scenarios, and one of those scenarios actually includes all Democrat control. There's a scenario that would say, look, maybe Trump can win the White House. He's got Democrats in the Senate and in the House. So th- this is going to yeah. take us into some areas that we, we don't really know where they might be right now. And then the other factor is he could lose the damn election easily, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. And even if, if he wins, he's pro- we're probably going to lose the House. And the, the Senate may, may, there's a very favorable map, so we may get the Senate. Um, definitely we'll lose it in 2026, so... There's some doomsday scenarios. If we lose all three, we're in trouble. I mean, they're going to end the filibuster, and and we're down that path that this country's gone.
2: Well, that's going to be interesting. At this point, you can't do anything. You can say, I told you so. We'll have to see what happens after the election. People did not want to um, go in a different direction in Iowa, and they're not going to want to go in a different direction in New Hampshire and South Carolina, likely. So this is the process, Scott Moorfield. We'll see where it takes us, right? It gives talk show hosts things to talk about, I'll tell you that. It does. (laughs) All right, Scott. Take care. Thanks for having me, Mark. We appreciate it. I wasn't going to put him through this torture, but I I thought this was somewhat entertaining. And this may speak volumes here. This is a guy who has been to 68 Trump rallies. He's a Trump superfan. And, you know, I've referred to to some of the supporters of Trump as being cult-like because— I think they are cult like. Listen to this guy. We're here in
1: Manchester, New Hampshire. It is currently seventeen degrees. Former President Trump will be holding a rally here tonight at seven PM. How early did you get here?
0: I got here about nine this morning. It was it was nine degrees then and with a wind chill factor of minus ten, they said. And what are you doing to stay warm? Well uh I I keep moving. If I keep walking, the blood flows, and, I, and I, maybe I won't lose any fingers or toes. But uh, I, I think I'm going to end up like Sir Edmund Hillary, and, I, and I'll be missing a few digits by the time I go to all these New Hampshire rallies. Hey,
1: how many events have you been to?
0: This is my. This will be my 68th Trump rally, where I'm seeing the boss himself.
2: And we- wow, that's that's like more than the uh, the folks. Unlike me, you go to Springsteen concerts. You Why, see like yeah. dozens and dozens. You go to all those Trump rallies. That's the kind of power that that guy has. So I, you know, I'm I'm just going to be honest because I have to be. So I am not looking forward to spending the next eight months talking about this presidential race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Really not. I know. I'm horrified by what the um, the outcome might be from the standpoint that if we lose the House or if somehow the Senate flips. I think Scott's handicapping of that is relatively accurate. I think the Senate looks pretty good right now, but then, of course, you have another cycle two years later, and we know what happens with midterms. So there's a lot on the line in this particular election. And the other thing that he said that really jumped out at me is they haven't even started with Trump. So the polling might look good pretty now, and let's let's not forget, let's remember that the polling was pretty accurate here from the past couple of months. A lot of people, including the former president, have ripped the polling. So if that polling changes between now and July, between now and August. And what where will the party, where will the faithful be if things, you know, tend to trend in the other direction? Let us I don't not forget, know. RFK still exists. You keep saying that, but that here's what I would say about that. He doesn't have a chance to win the election. You mm. understand that, mm-hmm. right? It's just sad. Well, I it mean, is. I'm not going to say that we shouldn't. I, I would love to be in a situation where we have more opportunities to to make different choices outside of Republican and Democrat. This is not the cycle where that will happen. But what it is the cycle for is that guy to pull enough votes back from, let's say, Donald Trump to give the election to Biden. And by the way, it could happen in the other direction. I, I mean, I'm not—I don't go... think anyone can Mm-mm. can nail down specifically the effect of RFK Jr. because I think he's going to pull in both directions. It might very well be enough to make a difference, because if you have 70 percent of the country saying we don't want either of these guys. Exactly. There's going to be protests.
5: Exactly. Mark, that's
2: what uh, my thought is. But where where does that leave us? Though? I don't know. I don't know either. Let's talk about the transgender golfer Haley Davidson, who won a tournament in Florida over the weekend, okay? <laughs> so uh, he's thirty years old, native of Scotland, resides in Florida, won the X. I'm sorry, the NXXT Women's Classic. Of course he did, because he is a
5: biological male. (laughs) Right.
2: I love getting Sue all set off Mm. on these, which is one of the reasons I do stories like this. Mm. This was at the Mission Inn Resort and Club Northwest Orlando. Shot a 1 over 73, ended plus 4 for the tournament, um, which isn't that great for a tournament of professional golfers, (laughs) but has a path now to the LPGA. This got a lot of attention. This is a, essentially an LPGA qualifying tour. They have produced the NXXT 600 members who have gone on to play in the LPGA, which is the biggest women's golf organization. So now you have a guy who's taking one of the slots for the ladies in the world yep. of golf. We've seen this in cycling and other sports. The NXXT issued a statement today, which is interesting. Now, I said this earlier in the uh, either in the hour or in the last hour. Riley Gaines has given this some attention, as you imagine that she would because she's been a champion on this. But if you just Google NXXT or this person's name, Haley Davidson, unless it's changed in the last couple of hours, and it could have because I've been on the air here for a couple of hours, you're not going to find any ESPN coverage of this or any New York Times or Washington Sports, or I guess at the New York Times it would be The Athletic. In other words, there's no mainstream publication covering, which is, I think, a pretty important story in the world of sports right now, certainly in women's sports. So the NXXT issues a statement today. They've responded. They said the Pro Tour was established with a mission to elevate women's golf, providing increased exposure and equitable opportunities. In line with this vision, we recently launched the groundbreaking team golf format that fosters camaraderie showcases, collective talent, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, they go on and on about how this is supposed to you know, help women. And then they say the recent discussions surrounding Haley Davidson's participation and success on our tour have highlighted a range of viewpoints. The NXXT <laughs> Women's Pro Tour acknowledges these perspectives while emphasizing that our policies and decisions are guided by the—this is where they, they do this all the time. I think other sports have done it, too. We're going to pivot to other organizations, and we're going to blame them. So they say this. They are guided by the framework set by the LPGA and the USGA. Our focus remains supporting our players' aspirations and contributing to their journey towards the LPGA. So, in this particular situation, you have Haley. Uh, uh, there's there's rules where you know, well, hormones I- are taken at a certain time, it- and they do some testing. And they're saying that they're following those rules. But there's been a lot of blowback on this in the last well, couple of days.
5: I, I'm reading that uh, she began hormone therapy in 2015 and had reassignment in 2021. Correct. But you still went through puberty as a male and are still going to be have a physical advantage that no amount of hormones is going to change.
2: Absolutely. Now, they it's, claim and she claims, and, and this would be... Her swing speed, swing speed is relatively important in the game of golf because that affects distance. I mean, if you're hitting the ball correctly, your swing speed is going to mean the ball is going to go further than the person with the slower swing speed. And men have far faster swing speeds than (sighs) than professional women overall. Davidson claims that she lost 15 miles per hour of club head speed as a result of her transition. That's significant. But to your point, there's all those other built-in advantages that she's had He's had for all these years, wasn't able to compete until 2021, has been on hormone replacement therapy for five years and eight months up until that point. So now it's been years. And this is the part that really does intrigue me. And I don't know anything more than what I'm about to tell you right now. We have held up Caitlyn Jenner as an example of someone who's kind of been on the right side of these, right? Mm -hmm. Caitlyn Jenner, interestingly enough, supports Haley Davidson. Really? And the quote is, and I don't know a whole lot more about it than this. He said if I I've been very consistent with how I've tried to approach these transgender athletes it really depends on the sport hmm. every sport is different now that's what Caitlyn Jenner said In um, the summer of 2022. So that was, you know, a year and a half ago. But I don't know if that's changed. I do think it's interesting that there was support there from someone who has not supported Leah Thomas, you know, and thrown the red flag on some of that stuff as well. Mm. So follow this one because this is going to blow up. Even though ESPN, the mainstreams aren't covering it, it's getting a lot of attention behind the scenes for sure. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T Mobile. You can count on T Mobile to help you stay connected on America's
0: largest 5G network.
5: Our lives aren't like they used to be. They're busier. Early morning Zooms, grabbing coffee to make that in-office meeting, getting to your kid's soccer game on time. Life is different, and so is advertising. To reach any audience, you need your message out there in all media, broadcast to streaming, on screens, and right to the ears of your customers. And that's what we do at Odyssey. Let's build a media campaign that targets the customers you know and want to reach more of right here in our community. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey. C.com.
2: All right, I have a, uh, I think, a really, really solid audio cut of the day coming up here before the end of the hour. I previewed a little bit of it with Joy Reid at the beginning of the show during the monologue. Oh. Tomorrow, um, yeah, Sue's got a sample of that. Tomorrow yeah. on the show is going to mention something. I don't even know if I have anything to mention. Tomorrow on the show, we have nothing set up. I was just going to look oh, at my sheet. Oh, we've got something. Fred, Fred puts things at the top, and sometimes I look at them and sometimes I don't. We do have something for tomorrow?
5: Oh, I was looking at mine. I don't see it well, either. it's going to be great no
2: matter what, Sue. You know it's that. It's going to be terrific. Audio cut of the day, though, is coming up in about 15 minutes. There was a story that I highlighted, I think it was last week, might have been the week before. Daniel Greenfield, the author, the uh, title was The Greatest Islamophobia Hoax in America Exposed. The, Islamofo- the Islamophobic, I'm sorry, shooter of three Palestinians in Vermont actually supported Hamas. Lo and behold, the media got it wrong on yet another story. And the details of this should be known and should be revealed. And unfortunately, you're not going to see this in your legacy media publications. No one will correct the errors out there or follow up. Daniel Greenfield did, though, and he's with us tonight on 97.1 FM Talk. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us and for writing about this. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about
2: this. Probably not a shock to you that your work has gone without, without being you know, repeated in most of the legacy media, some of the stuff that you've uncovered here, right?
0: Yeah, NBC News quasi-responded without actually any mention. They did an update of their story, uh, doubling down on it, even though they have no explanation whatsoever for how any of their original claim makes sense.
2: Well, let's let's give the history here. And as I mentioned in the intro, I did you know give a, a fair amount of attention to your story, and I'm really glad that we got you on here to, to talk about it, because I, I do think this deserves some attention, maybe a lot of attention, since it's another example of what I like to refer to as journalistic malpractice. So explain the story. I think everybody remembers in the aftermath of October 7th what happened with the shooting in Vermont, right?
0: There was uh, three Arab Muslim men walking down the street in Burlington, Vermont, were shot. Immediately, it became a major national story when those shootings are not become. You know, there are far more people than that shot in Chicago over the weekend. But there were claims that somehow this was Islamophobia, was motivated by them being Palestinian. Uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Senator Bernie Sanders, pretty much every politician on a national scale. Uh, condemned it, denounced it, talked about Islamophobia, what they called anti-Palestinianism. Uh, and the reality was that the guy who shot them was a leftist. He was a Biden supporter. Uh, he denounced the American empire, and he was actually a supporter of Hamas. So this had nothing to do with Israel. It had nothing to do with Hamas. It had nothing to do with them being Muslim, despite that the media has kept on pushing this narrative over and over again
2: months later. So what happened that night? You got these three guys. They're coming back from a party, right? Yes, they're coming back from a
0: bowling alley. They're walking down the street. This is a narrow street, no streetlights whatsoever. Uh, This guy who is mentally unstable, uh, his mother, his ex-girlfriend talked about how he was violent. Uh, He's standing out there with a gun. We don't know exactly what happened. We have their narrative, which keeps claiming that uh, it was motivated by who they were. But there's a confrontation. He fires four shots at three people. Uh, this doesn't suggest that he's engaging in some sort of mass shooting. Uh, he runs to his apartment. The ATF comes out and arrests him. Those guys are taken to the hospital. Then they're on every news media in the country blaming this on American racism, on Israel. And the media ignores the fact that the shooter, James J. Eaton, is, first of all, mentally unstable. Second, he's known as a progressive hippie guy. And third of all, their entire story makes absolutely no sense, because how does he even know who they are when they're coming? Uh, it's a dark street, no street lights, It's a really small, narrow street. And why does he have a gun there? Now, is he waiting in the 97% white city? Is he hanging around with a gun, waiting for three you know, Muslims to come down this narrow residential street? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever.
2: So this was one of those deals, though, when it happened, as you point out, here we are in the middle of the country. You know, it gets out there on Twitter. It gets repeated. You got the governor of Vermont that weighs in. You have the police, you know, lieutenant that that chimes in or the police chief. It's a hate crime, all these things. Then it gets multiplied in, you know, in the rest of the media. And a lot of people hear this story and they assume, well, gosh, this is uh, we're hearing in the aftermath of what happened in Gaza and Israel, a lot of uh, questions about you know, Palestinians. But now we have to look at the Jews because it looks like the Jews are retaliating here, essentially, with some of the messaging, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, there was definitely that part. Eton is not Jewish. Uh, They did this with another attack where there was a Chicago landlord who got into dispute, again, not Jewish. And they're spreading a particular narrative that benefits them and that distracts attention from what's actually going on, which is that there is a rash of Attacks on Jews, there's a general attack, a rash of attacks by Hamas supporters on Americans. You know, we've seen the shutdown of highways, bridges, airports by these people. Uh, We've seen riots and violent assaults. And stories like this are meant to kind of flip the narrative uh, to evade what's actually going on. And by the way, there is a rash of violent crime in Burlington, Vermont. Much of it is actually caused by um, some of the Muslim immigrants who are living there, uh, which catapulted crime up by over 100%. So there is violence there. They just don't want to talk about where the violence is actually coming from.
2: So what, what then happens with the And You even point out in your story, Daniel, that there is a, uh, a local news outlet that's called Seven Days, and they reveal that this guy had tweeted something that was very pro-Hamas.
0: Yes, he had tweeted out in support of Hamas. This is not surprising because, as I said, he is a leftist. He denounced what he called the American empire and American foreign policy. Uh, this guy was not remotely pro-Israel or anti-terrorist. And anything, he was the other way around. He viewed America as evil. He viewed Hamas as actually having a point. So he was not there lashing out at Muslims. He was there uh, being mentally unstable. And, you know, we've had quite a few shootings that were actually carried out by leftists, by um, including Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, which were then blamed on conservatives.
2: Well, that's right. yep, we uh, we remember that. So in in the aftermath of some clarity, okay? And there was one of the things I don't think anybody has heard of, and I didn't hear about this until I read about it in in your piece is there was even uh, something that was introduced in the city council in that community when it comes to this particular instance, right?
0: Yeah, there were a number of council members. This was Burlington, Vermont, which is very much on the left. They actually voted to defund the police. Uh, They introduced this resolution blaming the attacks in Israel and claiming that America is Islamophobic. And the resolution did not go through. It failed both. uh, Both versions of it failed. Why did it fail? Because by this point, they knew it was not a hate crime. It was not Islamophobia. It had nothing to do with any of that. But the national media still kept pumping the story and national politicians still kept pumping the story, even when people in Vermont knew this was not true.
2: Yeah. And this is a pattern that I highlight with the media all the time. And this certainly fits fits the pattern, because when this starts to get some you know, clarity and after, as you point out, after a month of pushing this lie that the shootings were response to, you know, Israel's campaign against Hamas. Well, then the truth comes out. But the media outlets that run with all the lies, they don't correct it, do they?
0: No, they do not. You can, fi- you can sometimes find the truth in local media outlets. And in this case, you can you can find that. This is uh, the material that I use for story in part came from local media outlets. But nationally, NBC News, by the way, is among the worst because they've continued uh, pushing the same lie over and over again. The national media never corrects. It never says, we got it wrong. Sorry,
2: guys. So... In the end, when it comes to this guy, Mr. Eaton, mentally unstable, left-linging, hated America, right? We're colonizers. That's to say he's written about that stuff. He, um, you know, what wasn't Jewish. Uh, he, he wasn't pro-Israel in any way, shape, or form. The narrative, nothing matches up from what the original reporting was. Where does that leave us right now? I guess it's just over, right? We just move on.
0: Yeah, we move on to the next lie, and then when the next lie gets discredited, we jump on to the next lie, and these are the weapons of mass distraction that the media pushes. Uh, They tell one lie. If the lie gets discredited, they move on to another lie, and we see this in national politics all the time. Uh, One lie just makes way for another lie, and they never actually fact-check themselves. They never actually correct their own stories. They never actually hold themselves accountable.
2: And as you pointed out, you know, I think this is important, Daniel, as well, that there is a pattern that exists when it comes to this type of, um, you know, of instance as well. When it comes to the the hoaxes that go on or the things that aren't true in um, in relation to Muslims in this country.
0: Yeah, there's unfortunately a really long list of Islamophobic hate crime hoaxes, Uh, two major ones. One took place in Chapel Hill. There was a guy, again, uh, mentally unstable prone to anger, got into an argument with his Muslim neighbors about a parking spot and opened fire on them. It was a horrifying crime, but it had nothing to do with their religion. This guy was a liberal politically. And everybody who pointed that out, including me, of course, uh, were ignored by the media, which insisted that this was an Islamophobic attack. Another case was a 17-year-old Muslim girl. She was with some friends. They got into a fight with an illegal alien gang member. Uh, He attacked her and killed her. This happened in Fairfax, Virginia. There were repeated claims that this was Islamophobia. They actually even pushed this at the actual trial. And again, this is a guy who is an illegal alien uh, who barely speaks English, who was a member of a violent MS-13 gang. uh, He's from El Salvador. He was not motivated by her religion. This was not an Islamophobic attack. And yet we keep hearing these stories pushed over and over again. And even when it's discredited, uh, they still bring them up in the background uh, as for historic background the right. same thing is going to happen with the Burlington
2: attack so Daniel you we never really did this and maybe I'm doing this a little backward here Daniel Greenfield is an investigative journalist wrote about this um, and and I had gone over this case about 10 days ago and it's awesome that he came on to sort of go through all the details here you are with the uh, the David Horowitz Freedom Center and I don't know your background as far as what you've ever done as a reporter or, or a journalist and I'm not sure what that organization is all about but I love the story because it fits with a lot of my narratives when it comes to journalistic malpractice out there? Is that something that you focus on now, or are you just a reporter? You're trying to get the word out.
0: Oh, both. You know, often uh, the media outlets, the mainstream media outlets, are barraging people with things that are not true with misinformation and support to actually expose what is really going on. And a lot of journalism now involves correcting the journalistic malpractice of the mainstream media, which controls the high ground of communication, but has no ethical standards at all.
2: So one one reason I think this is important is, and I tick down the list of these cases all the time, and, and Daniel, I'm sure you're familiar with our case here of Mike Brown. I like to call it ground zero in the St. Louis area. Ferguson with what happened with don't, you know, uh, hands up, don't shoot. It didn't happen. <laughs> Nothing of the sort happened, but people to this day. Believe that. And this happens with story after story. I could even go to the Breonna Taylor story in Louisville. There's a bunch of facts related to Brianna Taylor. And I think what happened in uh, in that instance was was a terrible tragedy. And they they obviously made some mistakes. The police did. But there was a reason at the same time that they were investigating Brianna Taylor. I mean, she had a call that was recorded by the police to the jailhouse where she was talking about crimes being committed. So it wasn't like they just threw a dart and they decided to land on her apartment. But those are the types of things that get omitted from these stories that are very relevant, that never get clarified by the media in in this modern era.
0: Yeah, that's exactly true. Michael Brown, of course, uh, the Breonna Taylor case, uh, there was extensive material showing that she was involved in criminal activity. She was not just this innocent girl that you see on television. Uh, Much like George Floyd's background, uh, his violent assaults are also, uh, also ignored. Virtually every Black Lives Matter case, the person at the center of it was involved in crime. There are a handful of exceptions there. So the idea that these are just innocent people are being picked on for no reason except that the police are racist. police in many of these cases, by the way, are themselves uh, members of diverse multicultural groups. Uh, the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore is one of the more outrageous ones where multiple law enforcement personnel were dragged through this process for years because a drug dealer suffered an accident in the back of a police vehicle. Now the prosecutor was in charge of all this. Is herself actually going to be facing legal charges? Meanwhile, she destroyed lives. She wasted millions of dollars in these legal cases. And that's the case with most of these BLM stories that are blown up by the media and that have no
2: actual basis. Yeah. Well, keep on them, Daniel Greenfield. You're doing great work here. I try to highlight it when I can. These are um, the types of stories that not, not enough people are hearing the real truth of what happened in these cases. And then, you know, as, as you know, and I've highlighted this so many different times, even in the past few weeks, the story gets out there. It's inaccurate. Maybe. Maybe it gets corrected. Even if it does, the media outlets don't correct it. They sit there, they linger, the headlines don't get corrected. People are let to believe, well, you know what happens. They they don't know the facts. They don't know the truth. And that's that's part of the problem with American media This um, in this era. I can't even believe that it continues to happen. But Daniel, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on here in St. Louis to highlight it. I sure hope the uh, two young ladies in the uh, studio, <clears throat> Sue Thomas and my <laughs> daughter, Alexa, I hope you're having a great time here this afternoon while I'm trying to do a live radio show. Yeah, sorry about that. She's just um, dazzling my daughter. These are pretty funny. Just because we, we talked about the, uh, the number one story of the day around here is the fire truck down in Imperial. We have the chief From the fire district on the air at 407 before Suze News, that thing did some slipping and sliding in a neighborhood, clipped a car, and then basically stuck a landing in a driveway. But you pulled up videos, uh, essentially, of people slipping on ice for my daughter to watch, right? It's sad that I am amused (laughs) by this so much. They're pretty funny, though. We're
5: on Funny People Slipping on Ice Compilation Part 3.
2: They're pretty good, and uh, the aforementioned Alexa Reardon is here because there was no school in Rockwood, and it was really, really slippery uh, this morning, although I think the rest of the day has been fine. It has. Abby said, though, I never had her tell her story, that in her neighborhood, and she didn't come in until— Closer to, you know, noon is when she gets here. She said it was still kind of tough getting out of the neighborhood. Oh, that's scary. Let's be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I do have a couple of things, Audio Cut of the Day related. I want to focus on Joy Reid, but let me just kind of toss this in just because we were talking with Daniel. And it it kind of goes directly to the issue of media malpractice and what's happening with the media climate out there. Because uh, Ben Shapiro sat down with Elon Musk talking about new media. Sue, we are old media people. Oh, you we and I, are right okay. in, in a variety of ways: well, radio, television, newspaper, old media, digital, new media. Now, old media has aspects of new media, right? We have Instagram feeds and mm-hmm. X feeds and things like that. We try to incorporate things and, in, in, you know, make it as user friendly on the audience as possible. We have the video feed where what do we have? Like four or five people yeah, right now on watching YouTube and the X. Exactly. I mean, that thing just blows. I can't even believe they can take the demand with our, um, you know. <laughs> bandwidth here in the Odyssey studios in St. Louis. But I thought this was interesting, Elon Musk with Ben Shapiro, talking about how legacy media is threatened or are they threatened? Why does the legacy media seem to have you, particularly in the last year and a half, uh, in, in the crosshairs so much? Well,
3: I mean, the re- reality is that X is competition for the legacy media. So, uh, you know, X is a, is where people go to get the most current news and learn about the world. So. Leg- you know, the, the legacy media is our direct competitors, so they're really going to find every, every angle to try to cancel X. I mean, it's the, that's, I mean if you want to know why things are happening, look at the incentives, you know. So, and, and legacy media has had uh, a tough time with respect to uh, usage. Um, the numbers I saw was that the sort of traditional print uh, cable television uh, viewership went down something like 20 30% last year. On the other hand, X went up roughly the same, roughly 20-30%. So it's a direct
1: competition for people's attention. I don't
2: know if Ben asked him this question. One thing I'd like Ben to ask for is somebody, are you going to change the name again, or what, what's the deal? Because he wants to say X, right? He loves X, but nobody says, I X'd last night. No, right? I, I don't I know if they it. will either. They won't, Sue, but okay. I, you know, Elon is stuck in his ways, and he's got the money, and he's the guy who gives us the name. So we're just going to have to roll with it. Now, the audio
3: cut of the day.
2: All right. Uh, I love this one, and it really speaks volumes about our friends in the media like Joy Reid. And she lost this argument so poorly over the weekend. And just in case some of you are having difficulty understanding what Joy's about to say and how she's framing this, she essentially is sending the message, and this is not an exaggeration, that refusing to stock pornography for kids in elementary school libraries is basically the same thing as banning black kids from school. So she has this discussion. This is fantastic because Tiffany Justice is the leader of this group, Moms for Liberty. And she handles herself so exceptionally well when Joy Reid is trying to make these ridiculous claims about book banning. Now, let's keep in mind, there is no book banning. There's just appropriate material in students' libraries. Do um, LG- the LGBTQ parents
5: and parents of LGBTQ kids. So they have parental rights.
4: Every parent, Joy, them every parent means every parent has the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their children.
5: And liberal parents? Do liberal um, parents have those rights as well? All parents.
2: So she's yeah, so she's trying to set, you know, the, the game the ground rules up just a little bit there on this discussion with Moms for Liberty. But then she says, well, wait, well, Moms for Liberty goes after these schools and libraries, and there's only a handful of people that are even responsible for picking out what these books are. So this happens. Why should 13 people get to decide what books tens of thousands
5: of children get to read? Well, I'm
4: I'm thinking it's probably because those 13 people saw what some of the content was in the books. I mean, explicit, graphic, sexual content. And I'm happy to talk about some of that content if if you'd like to. Well, this
5: is the question again. The
2: books that are being
5: banned, I want to give you just No some, books are being on, banned. Hold on a second. Well, no, Joy, Layout. but I want to be clear.
4: Uh,
2: and this is important here because they, they keep saying banning books. No books are being banned.
4: Banning books. Write the book, print the book, publish the book, put the book in the public library, sell the book, right? Uh, we're talking about a public school library. Children mm-hmm. don't have unfettered access to the Internet at school. Mm-hmm. I did a, a FOIA records request, and, and, and I wanted to see what kinds of Internet sites are banned mm-hmm. in schools, if we're going to talk about banning, right? Mm-hmm. And the subject matter in the books that moms are concerned about are the same things that kids don't have access to on the internet. So it, it just feels very hypocritical, right? No, why is no one out there protesting for, you know, free the internet in schools?
2: I think that's a great point. That's Joy. really She wants point. to laugh that off, but that's what we're talking about here. They mislead in so many different directions. Now, Joy makes an unfortunate decision here. She wants to talk about this book called All Boys Aren't Blue. Anne Frank's a Diary of a Young Girl. Mouse,
5: which is a book about the Holocaust, a graphic novel, Gender Queer, a memoir, All Boys Aren't Blue, Beloved, Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington, Ruby Bridges Goes to School, Slaughterhouse Five, The Color Purple, Forever by Judy Bloom. I could go on. These are books that are not only popular, in some cases, are classics. Toni Morrison's The Bluest
2: Eye. Yeah, what about that book, All Boys Aren't Blue? In counties
5: like Broward, counties like Clay, counties like Escambia, Moms for Liberty activists are using booklooks.com. And it's essentially a cliff notes for books. So you go through without even having to read the book. I'm going to just hold it up so our audience can see what it looks like. This is the one for All Boys Aren't Blue, which is one of the books Moms for Liberty has. Everyone should go and see the content in this book. That's such a good idea. And so what happens is. is... you can do keyword searches and find certain keywords. Like rape. You can find, key- yeah. sure. Or anal you, rape you or you can, dildo. You can find those, all sorts types of keywords. Of word- oh
2: yeah, that's the book she picked. The question I'm asking is,
5: what is the expertise that you have, and other Moms for Liberty advocates have, to decide that a book, an award-winning book like *All Boys Aren't Blue*, isn't appropriate for students to read. What What, is your a, what a
4: tragic story of a young man who's annually raped by his adult family member. So mm-hmm. you have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer, so sure. I'm going to answer Please for do. you. Um, in what context is a strap-on dildo acceptable for public school? Just let, I mean, that's my question to you. Tell me what the context around the strap-on dildo or the rape of a minor child by a
5: teacher? Hold on a second. Now no, no, no. no wait, we're talking on, about no, public no, no. school. One, one moment. All right. So now you've asked me a
2: question. Sure. And I'm going to answer it. She's such an idiot. She doesn't answer it. She wants to ignore it. I think that's a real good question. By the way, gender queer has the same you know theme of a strap-on. I can't say it because my eight-year-old is next to me and she didn't have her headphones on when that audio was playing. I'm trying to protect her. That's what this is about, right? Kids should not be exposed to this stuff. Joy Reid should be ashamed of herself. She does a great job, though, exposing her idiocy and ignorance on a regular basis.
0: Get more at 971talk.com. Odyssey
2: celebrates Father's
0: Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.
1: I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, money wise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcasts.